I understood that, okay, you can win bot lane, but if you don't transition your lead anywhere, then, you know, you're just flipping a coin and hoping your mid wins, you're hoping your top wins, you're hoping your jungler wins. So why not just take the reins? I can do that as a support on my champions. So why don't I just become the second jungler? I'm just going to control the game because I can, and roaming is the way you control games. Welcome to Challenger Insights, where we dive into the minds of the best League of Legends players to figure out how they think about the game. I'm your host, Lucas, and today I'm joined by Raisins. He's a Challenger Alistair support main. He reached 640 LP, putting him in the top 200 on the Challenger leaderboard, and he's even played competitively in the UK League Championship. Before we get started, we're hosting a Q&A with Raisins on the Challenger Insights Discord. If you're listening to this episode the day it comes out, it'll be happening today at 3 p.m. Central Time or 9 p.m. in the UK. The link for the Discord will be in the show notes. If you're listening to this later and you missed out, be sure to join the Discord to be notified of future episodes and events like these. Raisins, it's awesome to have you. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Sweet. So. Let's get started. Why do you play Alistar specifically? What makes him better than other supports? So I am a big fan of supports which take control of the game. Supports that don't sit back and rely on someone else to do the damage or um, rather, you know, start the fights, I guess you could say. I really enjoy tanky engaging supports and my past seasons, I focused on playing things like Nautilus, like Thresh. And in season 11, I was exposed to phase rush Alistair and I, I thought I'll try it out just for a few games and I love the playstyle so much that I, I just decided you know what I'm gonna I'm just gonna run with it and see how long I can go and how high I can go and I think what makes him better than other supports is he has phase rush Alistair specifically has some of the most absurd roaming potential you combine phase rush with hex flash and he tilts the enemies in ways that you can't imagine and in my opinion, that's one of the more satisfying ways to play support nowadays in season 11. <laughs> okay, awesome. So that's interesting. When it comes to support players, I feel like there's a very clear split between like, there's the enchanter players and then there's the tank players. Has this been your experience as well? Or, or are you good both with enchanters and tanks? Or, you know, what's, what's your experience with this? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And I think it is actually true. I think there is basically a clear divide between supports that favor the engaging style and supports that favor the shielding healing style. There is a very clear divide, even in competitive gameplay. When I was playing on teams, we would have drafts that we would prepare for and the supports would usually fall on either side. Only the really, really experienced, very talented supports could play both styles to a, a high level. And I think it's because the styles are so different and the way you carry and the way you have to um, position and especially warding in high elo, in ranked, it matters a lot because if you're a squishy support, you have to ward very differently. So I personally, am not like the best with enchanters. I do not excel at playing Seraphine, but I can play them to a level which I would say is uh, maybe somewhat near my rank. It's definitely not the champion I would prefer to play, but I think that enchanters probably would say the same about tanks uh, if on the other end. <laughs> All right. 
Cool. Um, so back to Alistair, what makes your Alistair playstyle unique uh, compared to other Alistair players? Oh boy. So if I had to be objective about this and not base anything through the lens of me watching my own replays, I would have to say I am hyper, hyper aggressive with my all-in decisions in lane, with my roaming decisions. I personally have seen other Alistairs mimic this style, but they seem to do it in a little bit more of a methodical approach. I think it's a double-edged sword. It's good and bad for my playstyle. It catches people off guard sometimes, but then it also leads to some rather short games. <laughs> so I would go on to say that I've watched other really good Alistair players and there's still things to learn from. But in my opinion, solo queue is a lot about the element of surprise and a lot about catching people off guard and forcing them into bad decisions. So that's that's my play style. That's that's how I like to play Alistair. Okay. That makes sense. So so how do you do that? How do you catch people off guard as Alistair? So what I actually wrote in one of my Alistair, uh, in my Alistair Mobifier guide, which I think a lot of players didn't understand. They came to me and they said, you know, well, why is Alistair good in high elo? He's actually so simple to play, so I think I can climb to high elo with him. Is I would use an analogy. Like, have you seen a Master Yi player in high elo? Master Yi is a very simple, on paper, simple champion. But because he's such a simple champion, you have to use his abilities very specifically against good players because they will respond accurately to your abilities. That's the same thing with Alistair. So when you're trying to punish mistakes, when you're trying to catch people off guard with Alistair in high elo, I'm talking about you can't just use your WQ combo in the most obvious way, right? They will react to it, they will flash, they will know it's coming. If they have any disengage, for example, they're Gragas, they're a Vayne, they're a Rel, they can shut you down. So catching people off guard on Alistair, and the reason why I think I've started to excel on Alistair is because I'm creative with the way you use your spells. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's not like I'm a PhD in, in using my WQ. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of Zed and Yasuo players that would look down their nose at Alistair players saying, we don't have enough mechanics. But in general, the simpler the kit, the harder it is to outplay better opponents. So outplaying people on Alistair is not about just comboing them at the right time, but generally it's about using your movement. There's a term that Coach Curtis uses called tethering, where you're, you're using your movement to bait out enemy spells or change their positioning in a way that benefits you. A lot of Alistair in lane is about tethering, about me going in and out of bushes at the right time so that they think I'm going to combo. I'm threatening to flash on them constantly. I'm threatening to use my E on the melee support and then go on the AD carry, all this kind of stuff. You have to start thinking about it a lot, lot more against better players. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Um, on top of that, obviously everyone knows about the WQ combo, but I feel like there, there must be just that much more nuance to playing Alistar. What are some of the other uh, tricks that you use? Like, there's a lot more to him, right? Oh, yeah. Alistar in general has a lot less mechanics that you can abuse to a consistent level. It's more specific uh, in matchups. It's really dependent on the matchup you're in. But there are certain things that you can do with your combo that change. For example, a really simple one, like a really basic next level of WQ is if they're against the wall, you can W them while stacking your, your stun, your E, and then you Q them after the W stun has expired, essentially extending the duration of the stun of your combo. 
that only works if they're against a wall. But this, uh, you can take it to the next level. You can you can play against the Tristana. And if Tristanas are good, they will buffer their W jump, their rocket jump. So if you just WQ them and you use your Q too early in the combo, what happens is actually she can buffer her W through the Q stun. But if you delay your Q even like half a second or even less, it's probably like 0.2 seconds, what happens is your W connects with her and actually stuns her. So she needs to buffer her W through your W, but then your Q interrupts that jump animation of hers. So there are actually ways to interrupt just Tristana jump just using your WQ. And that works for other champions like Malzahar. Malzahar has a shield. You need to W him, break his shield, and then Q. Champions like Rel are really tough for Alistair's to play against. Good Rels have a lot of ways of stopping your combo. So what you can actually do is uh, you need to become creative with your combo. You need to start with your flash. You need to expect yourself to not land W and save your flash for more creative ways of landing Qs, landing Es. Uh, there's a lot of small details that I could sit here and talk about matchup-wise, but in general, it's a combination of understanding how your W interacts because it's a stun and a knockback, and then also understanding how the enemy's like, movement spells interact with your Q knockup. For example, Sivir. I mean, that's a classic one. Everyone knows Sivir is countered by Alistair. So you press W, the W gets eaten by her spell shield, and then you Q her. So cool. But then Morgana. How do you deal with the Morgana spell shield? Everyone, everyone I've come up to says, oh, Morgana is really like, hard to lane against, says Alistair. In my opinion, I haven't had a tremendous amount of trouble laning because I max W. When I combo or Morgana, I'm expecting her to shield. So I don't use my Q. I use my W, I use my E, and usually I wouldn't combo until I'm level 6. Uh, uh, so I would ult her bind when she binds me. And by that point, her spell shield will most likely have been broken because I would have used my W and my E magic damage, and uh, then I could Q her. And then there's other ways of playing around it. Like I can W her and then flash over her and Q her AD carry, and she'll most likely use spell shield on herself. All right, awesome. That's that, that's a lot already. Cool. Um, I wanted to talk quickly about uh, just to set up the runes and the summoner spells for Alistar. Um, starting with the summoners, it seems that you always take Ignite and Flash. So why do you choose Ignite and not Exhaust? Yeah, so in general, whenever there's a engaging tanky support that wants to roam, Ignite just gives you a lot more opportunities. Exhaust is a, just a naturally reaction reactionary spell, and Ignite is a much more proactive spell. But then Ignite also just does the really obvious thing of increasing your lethal. It gives you more damage, it gives you bigger windows to all in. So in lane, after a certain point, I'm not going to be dealing damage. So how do I threaten? How do I threaten in lane? in certain lanes, Ignite is basically mandatory. Otherwise, we'll never be able to kill them. So that's the, the first reason. And then the second reason is in roams. Uh, a lot of the time, roams are dependent on maybe 50 to 100 damage can make or break a roam, uh, especially in high elo, when players start playing with such thin margins. If I had exhaust, what that would encourage me to do would kind of be to sit back and wait for the enemy to blow their cooldowns on me, which is not really the proactive, optimal way of playing a roaming support early game. Exhaust is just objectively better as the game goes on in, in team fights. I'm sure uh, if you've played League of Legends as Zed or as a Yone or as a Tristana and you've jumped in and been exhausted, you know the pain. But the strength of Alistair does not lend himself to playing exhaust. And then finally, if you want exhaust for a specific champ on the enemy team, there are situations where it's good. Generally, it's better that the AD carry take 
exhaust because they can control when they use it. They can control if someone is in range of the AD carry to deal damage, then the AD carry should have exhaust. I can't guarantee that I'm always with the AD carry. If I had exhaust and the enemy team had a Zed, I would have to stick next to my AD carry like glue. And as a roaming support or as a support that could potentially want to dive the enemy backline, that's not a very good thing for my, you know, my champion to have to stay near my AD carry at all times. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so are there any situations where you would actually uh, still take or still prefer exhaust? Yeah, there are a few. There, like, For example, if the enemy team has, I mean, Tristana is a really obvious one. One of the biggest AD carries that exhaust just completely shuts her down. And my AD carry really wanted to play safe in lane. I would take exhaust and he would take heal or maybe barrier. But there are other situations. For example, maybe the enemy team has one champion where they're just putting all their eggs in that champion's basket, like a Talon mid, and then they have four supports. That's an exaggeration, but you get the idea. Maybe four champions that don't deal damage and Talon is their only source of DPS. Well, I could probably identify in champion select, hey, if I, ha if I take exhaust and exhaust Talon in a fight and he doesn't one-shot my entire team, we're probably going to win the fight. So I can take exhaust. That would be like one of the few cases where I would consider taking exhaust. Uh, but in that situation, a lot of the time, my AD carry would also take exhaust. And there are some games where double exhaust could actually work. But I mean, generally, I'd let my AD carry take it. But yeah, I've taken exhaust maybe like once or twice out of hundreds and hundreds of games. All right, fair enough. All right, so on the runes, um, you mentioned this earlier, uh, that you exclusively run like Phase Rush Alistar. What makes Phase Rush so good? Yeah, so Phase Rush is pure mobility it's all about getting to somewhere really fast and also mobility in fights so the entire blue tree we spec into move speed and the main reason isn't actually phase rush itself if you could believe that it's the rune nimbus cloak and nimbus cloak combined with hex flash allows you to basically just roam in the most stupid ways possible you can hex flash over walls and you run at people with like 450 move speed with no boots. That's very, very crazy. But at phase rush in, in fights itself in certain matchups also helps you land your, your trample stun. So you're stacking your trample on champions. You can proc phase rush and then run around like an angry cow. And it's it's a lot easier to land your stun. And when you play Aftershock Alley, something you'll notice is it's sometimes very difficult to follow up your W plus Q combo with your E stun because they'll just use a dash or they'll run away or they'll flash away. With phase rush, I don't even have to burn my flash if an enemy flashes. A lot of the time I will combo them, proc my phase rush, and then just sprint at them. And even if they flash, I'm still running at them with a crazy amount of move speed. So that's the first thing, just the mobility it gives you in fights is crazy. But then on top of that, the the runes combine very nicely. So you, you take celerity, you take water walking. Celerity gives you extra move speed and water walking lets you run around in the river. Uh, where do you think I'm spending most of my time early game? I'm chilling in river, looking for roams, looking for an enemy jungle, moving with my jungle. And you combine all of this. And on the on one hand, I'm squishier. On the other hand, mobility is essentially a tanky stat. If you think of it as I can dodge so many skill shots, I can move around in fights, reposition. So yeah, you're not face tanking as much, but I'll tell you right now, a cow running at you with 600 move speed, that's that's already hard to hit skill shots on, but then he's going to combo your face if you go too close to him. Very scary to fight an Alistair in River with those kind of runes. So that's why Phase Rush is so good. It, it's just, it dominates early playmaking because you have so much mobility. Okay. Yeah, I really like that. Um, 
So yeah, you, you mentioned Aftershock. It seems like a lot of Alstar supports, it's kind of 50-50, right? Some people like Phase Rush, but a lot of people still run Aftershock. Are there any situations where you would still prefer Aftershock? So Aftershock, yes, I, I, there are situations I would take it. Generally in solo queue, I would advise to learn the matchups better. So the reason I would take Aftershock is you're dying a lot. You're squishy, you're getting destroyed a lot. But the inherent problem with that, in my opinion, is you will die a lot on engaging tanky supports. If you are the first one through the gate and the fights are not perfect and you, you probably are not engaging perfect fights, you're probably going to die. Uh, and that's okay. That's not always a bad thing. If you're soaking cooldowns, that's that's your job. But Aftershock is somewhat of a stopgap for tankiness. In the in the later stages, it's it's good in some ways because it gives you so many resistances. In laning phase, it's almost like a extra bit of damage. Uh, the the tankiness is nice, but what it, what it lacks is you're actually dealing less damage in the long run because you can't continue the fight if you want to. It's still very good in certain lanes that can shut you down. Lanes like Rel, lanes like uh, Gragas, where they can shut you down by denying your engage and just constantly poking you down. What that means is you will never really get a chance to get your phase rush off if you're against good players. So I would really recommend Aftershock in lanes where you're struggling and you're trying to learn the matchup. Once you learn the matchup, phase rush just takes over, in my opinion. You start to understand how to position, you start to understand how to abuse the move speed, and like I said, move speed is a, almost a tanky stat. It, it gives you effective HP because you're just going to dodge things and you're going to run around and make it really hard for the enemy to hit you. So Aftershock, I would take in Rel matchups specifically and also in competitive play. If you're a competitive support, you'll see even in competitive, they're taking phase rush a lot of the time. But Aftershock still has its place if you are the big beefy frontline. If you are the great wall that's standing in front of your team, trying to face tank, then yes, Aftershock will always come out on, on top because you need those stats. And the, the more auto attacks you can tank, the better for your team. So there are cases I do go Aftershock, but in my opinion, in solo queue specifically, Phase Rush just has way more benefits. That makes sense. It's, it's just better for playmaking, right? Yeah, Phase Rush just allows you to do so many crazy things. And people underestimate the movement speed from Nimbus Cloak specifically. There's actually a really good example, which is People think, oh, Nimbus Cloak allows you to hex flash and then run at people fast. That's a really obvious use of Nimbus Cloak. But there's another really, really incredible use of Nimbus Cloak, which is to escape. You can ignite someone and get a ton of move speed and then just sprint away. You know, if you've got a secondary like exhaust, you can exhaust someone and you have move speed. You can run away. So that's actually a really good use of Nimbus Cloak in general. And I've used I used ignite in a lot of situations to simply dodge skill shots you know and win the fight that way and the way i would say is regardless of what rune you run your goal as alistair if possible should be to either win the entire fight with one combo so you combo the perfect target and you just one shot them if that isn't possible you need to aim to try and get two combos off and if you can get two combos off in a fight generally speaking you've probably won the fight because if they haven't killed you or killed your team by the time you get your second combo off then your second combo, you will just have done so much more than the enemy support. So phase rush, the way you get a second combo off is through mobility and aftershock is through tankiness. Those are the two re reasons you would take those runes. So, you know, you need to weigh up the pros and cons before you go in game. Okay, cool. On the secondary tree for the runes, you always run inspiration, right? Um, obviously there's hex flash, that, that is just the main reason that you would take it. But 
uh, what else do you pick in the secondary tree? There's quite a lot of good options, right? Yeah. So, I mean, all hail Hexflash. It's it's the best rune in the universe. But apart from Hexflash, Cosmic Insight is the cooldown reduction rune. So it gives you summoner spell cooldown reduction, which is very, very valuable. I mean, everyone should know an Alistair with Flash is a very valuable champion. It's generally quite hard to team fight against him. So that's one reason why you take Cosmic Insight. But then there's reasons why you would take other runes. For example, Minion Dematerializer. I've stopped taking it recently, and I'm experimenting with just playing the harder lanes without it. But in, in lanes which just push you in constantly, and you're under your tower, and you can't roam, and therefore your champion is not very useful, you sometimes need Minion Dematerializer because they will never give you opportunities to leave lane. And you have to create them yourself by catching them off guard on a cannon wave, by dematerializing the cannon wave. And you one-shot the cannon, and then you can move off the wave. But what I've noticed is, seeing as you only get three, it's generally like you need to make those roams count. And if you're already behind and the enemy team can push, they're often going to have vision control around you anyway. So it's difficult to get roams all the time uh, using Dematerializer. So I've used that in certain lanes, especially poke lanes, lanes like Caitlyn Karma, where they just keep you under tower for all eternity. But then on the other hand, why take the minion dematerializer when I could just take biscuits in that lane and survive harder? Or Cosmic Insight actually in some ways allows me to survive against poke lanes because I'm going to burn my flash really early in lane and force an all-in and trade HP so that I can then get access to hex flash, chill in bushes. And if they don't have flash, then you know it's harder for them to step up to my tower. And then Cosmic Insight allows me to do that much sooner in the game. But Minion Dematerializer and Biscuits are the two runes I use the most besides Cosmic Insight. And I've seen some Alistair's use Futures Market, the debt rune, which allows you to go into debt to buy items, to reach their item spikes earlier, their Lucidity Boots or their Mobies. And I haven't experimented with that a tremendous amount, but I could see that working because once you reach your Tier 2 Boots on Alistair, you can, you know, you can start running around and dominating the map. But uh, I would say Biscuits are probably the second most popular rune on Alistair. Okay, interesting. Let's continue a little bit about Hexflash because I feel like there's an interesting pattern in the laning phase that that you're touching on, especially using Flash as early as possible to to force it and to get access to it. Basically, what what is your goal uh, and how do you use Hexflash well? Oh boy, that's a we could make a 3-hour podcast just about Hexflash. This this rune is um I actually remember watching Core JJ's YouTube channel and he was talking about Hexflash, if I'm not mistaken. And he said he he was using Hexflash in certain ways that I hadn't thought of. And I was thinking to myself, this rune is so flexible. It's on a 20 second cooldown and you can go over every single wall in the game. There's got to be more interesting ways you can use it. And the sheer amount of kills that you can gain and early map pressure you can gain just by going around people's vision using Hexflash is already enough to take the rune. But then the pressure in lane it gives you just by sitting in a bush is unbelievable. If you have lane pressure, Hexflash is just a multiplier to your lane pressure. So what I would say is, like I like the using the Caitlyn Karma lane example that I that I gave out earlier. Caitlyn Karma are just constantly pushing you under tower. What I've noticed, especially when coaching supports maybe gold platinum, they they struggle to lane against these poke lanes. But the reason is they're hesitating and they're so they're so hesitant to burn their flash and trade flashes that they never actually threaten to control a bush and threaten to all in again. So with Hex Flash, what I can do is I can just trade flashes with the enemy karma. Like level two, I will just start a fight under tower. 
like they will be under my tower hitting my plates i will just go in immediately and it doesn't have to be the perfect fight i can give up one or two creeps later to heal up and just sit back and wait for my pots and then once me and karma have no flash i have hex flash so i can sit in a brush i can sit in the alcove i can even after they reset and we come back to lane there's ways you can use hex flash you can for example i could walk all the way through our jungle, avoid bot lane entirely, go into the enemy jungle, and then hex flash over walls, depending on what side there are. And Karma has no flash, so it's unavoidable for her. She cannot deal with that. There's a lot of ways you can use hex flash to just completely surprise people. The, the Wraith brush, for example, I can, uh, or rather even Wraiths itself, I can stand on Wraiths and gank mid lane from behind, from both sides of the map. There's ways I can, I can avoid vision as a support. The more you play League of Legends, you start to notice where the patterns for warding are and what times enemy supports generally put their wards down. And you can start to avoid those situations by, for example, instead of me running through Tribrush uh, to go gank the enemy AD carry. When my AD carry is in lane and enemy AD carry is in lane, uh, a very common situation is, you know, the supports run at the AD carries and try and get them off the wave. I don't have to run through Tribrush with Hexlash. I can hop over the wall into Dragon Pit and then walk through River. Or I can hop over the little wall near river from my tri brush if I'm red side and then just run at the AD carry. So it, there's a lot of ways you can create like situations where they have to make super quick decisions and they don't have a choice. Or you can just avoid vision altogether and start fights on your terms. And that's pretty much what engaging supports are all about, starting fights on your terms. So Hexflash allows you to just bypass walls. Walls don't exist to you. And that's a really broken, incredibly hard to deal with power as an AD carry. They, they don't know where you could pop out next. I love that. All right. So one thing I wanted to ask as a follow-up to that, you say that controlling a brush in lane is very important. What if they just ward that brush? Yeah, that's actually something that, again, it's sort of game sense. It's sort of planning your laning phase out. But there's a situation that as a support you need to consider, which is, okay, can we get ganked? If we can get ganked, maybe yellow trinket is better. But if we can't get ganked, or if we think we are strong enough to maintain lane pressure, control the wave, then actually just getting a sweeper is very, very useful. And in high yellow, what I've noticed is 80 carries have been starting sweeper or the support. There's one sweeper, one yellow trinket in, in lane. And generally, it's the winning lane that does this um, because they don't need wards that much. Because if they're winning their lane, it's much harder for them to get ganked if they control the wave correctly. So if I start sweeper and I have control over the brush, I mean, you can probably imagine the sheer scariness that is if there's an Alistair in a brush with Sweeper and he sweeps your ward, it's like, good luck trying to walk up to that brush is all I'll say. There are ways you can get around that by baiting out Alistair's cooldowns uh, and then using your cooldowns effectively. He does a very large cooldowns, but in general, and also what I'd say is you can use pink wards. You know, if you, if you can't get Sweeper or you think you need Yellow Trinket, Another solution would be invest in 75 gold, and then you can take over that brush as long as you're in lane and as long as you can defend that pink ward. And they won't be able to do anything about it. And that, like I said, it just multiplies the power of your hex flash because they can't walk up. And the moment they do walk up, generally, that gives you more information already. If the enemy bot lane is walking up into a brush that is pink warded, chances are you're getting gagged. <laughs> so you should probably you should probably reevaluate whether you want to fight. That's already great information. You just avoided a gang. All right. Awesome. Cool. So on the landing phase for a little bit, what are some of the AD carries that Alistar pairs really well with? So one of Alistar's biggest problems is landing his E after his WQ against champions with dashes, movement spells. So any sort of AD carry that can kind of combo with him to fill the gap between landing his WQ and then his E 
uh, means the enemy team will just get chain stunned. Whoever you combo will get chain stunned. Alistair's combo lasts for about two and a half seconds. And then, you know, whatever you CC you add onto that will extend it. And that's a long time in League of, League of Legends. So Jin is great. You know, Seraphine is great because she can E when you combo. But uh, Seraphine's damage is a bit on the lower end, actually. So I would say Jin, I would say Tristana is fantastic because she can start fights and even set up your own combo. Tristana can, can initiate for you and then you can follow her. And then, you know, there's other champions. I would say Yasuo is not so great because one of the weaknesses is Alistair really struggles early game to pressure. And I think getting to level three against high level challenger bot lanes as Yasuo Alistair is already a challenge. You, you're going to be pressured quite a lot. You're going to be under your tower and you're going to lose XP. But there are certain, you know, there are certain AD carries I see and I'm just like, well, this is going to be straightforward. If I'm laning with a Kai'Sa, generally it's level six that we spike because she can follow up on my combo. Pre-six, Kai'Sa is okay in certain lanes, but a lot of what I, I just described is wave management. Can the AD carry make up for Alistair's bad wave management? That's that's pretty much the main main gist of it. Kai'Sa has her Q, Tristana has her E, you know, Seraphine deletes the wave at a certain point. So it's all about wave management because Alistair does not, control the wave very effectively at all. That makes sense. So uh, what about other champions in the bot lane? Are there any pocket picks you quite like to play with? So Vegar is nice because he, he can cage and then you can knock people into the stun. The issue again is with early game. It's very, very weak early game lane. And it's also pure magic damage lane. So they can just go double magic resist. Or if it's a tanky support, you basically don't deal damage. And it's a problem because Building something like Merc Treads in this game, in a Vigar Alistair lane, they, they have such insane gold value if you build Merc Treads. Additionally, if your team is heavy magic damage, Vigar Alistair is just going to pile more magic damage on top of that. But it's a decent lane if you can get Vigar scaling. I think in terms of unique pocket picks, one of the ones I've noticed that's kind of insane is Swain. I played with a couple Swains on the ladder, and generally the first two levels are rough, but once you get Swain to that point where I can combo, and then he can W, and then drag them into the W, and then he can E afterwards, or any sort of combination, whatever CC lands first essentially just means they're not moving for five seconds. And it's really, really obnoxious and hard to play against. Like I did mention with the Vigar lane, though, it's double magic damage, so you do have to be a little careful, and they can build Merc Treads. And then also on top of that, he burns a lot of mana controlling the wave. It's not easy for him to push the wave without burning a lot of mana. But if you can get through the first few levels, get a good base, it is a pretty disgusting lane. And I actually had the most fun playing with Swains as a pocket pick. Okay, awesome. So yeah, let's, let's talk more about the early game a little bit. So in general, you, you mentioned obviously controlling bushes. Uh, but also a lot of roaming. What are just generally your goals in the early game as Alistair? So as Alistair, you should have one thought, and that is, I don't want to be in lane. That's pretty much the strength of the champion is, like I mentioned in my talk about Hex Flash, Phase Rush, all that kind of stuff, that's what you're abusing. So your goal in laning phase is to get out of laning phase. And that doesn't mean to scale, that just means to find opportunities to leave. And Against better players, that just boils down to wave control. Can you push the wave and make them catch the wave while you do something? So whatever it is you do, however you do that, you can do that in multiple ways. I am going to be running around the map whenever enemy AD carry is stuck under tower. And a lot of support matchups and more 2v2 oriented matchups on different champions like Leona, maybe, you would want to try and threaten them. You would want to try and threaten 2v2s. 
you don't have to do that in bot lane. If if I have a ro lane I can roam or a winning jungle matchup or even a winning top matchup, I can actually just use my time instead of standing in front of tower and looking at the enemy bot lane really spooky. I can just run away. And what I've noticed is, especially when coaching, players don't understand just the sheer pressure of going into fog of war as a support. As soon as I, as, as Alistair, leave bot lane and walk into bot river and use my sweeper, for example, the enemy bot lane is, is going to be spam pinging my mid. And if they're not, hey, that's great. Then I can run mid and get a kill. But if they are pinging my mid or their mid rather, well, what do you think is going to happen? That mid laner is now going to be playing safe, probably not going to go for any all-ins, probably not going to step up to take risky trades or waves. And that gives my jungler and my mid laner a lot of space. So if I don't know what to do early game, a really good tip I would give a lot of players was just, you know, go into fog of war, just step into a brush, act like you're doing something, and then just stand there and just see, evaluate the map. That's actually one of the things I do the most on Alistair early game. Okay, interesting. <laughs> so you mentioned that you want to leave the lane as much as possible. Um, maybe it's different in high elo, but I feel like one thing that happens a lot when supports roam is that the AD carry gets caught out. Now, maybe in lower elo, this happens a lot when just the Leona engages on them, but maybe even in high elo, when there's just a three-man or a four-man dive-in bot, it still happens, right? How do you mitigate that downside? So this is what I would say. I, I had a term during coaching called the idiot radar, and you have to switch on your idiot radar. And essentially, a lot of League of Legends climbing, and what I've noticed a lot of high elo players do, especially when I'm when I'm smurfing or duking with some high elo player, me and them are playing together. We we sort of psychoanalyze the teammates. We take a look at our teammates there, and it, very quickly we can identify: is this a player who, who's going to understand these concepts, or is this a player that I can roam away from, or are they going to do something stupid? You do actually have to take that into account. You can't just look at a player and be like this player will do everything perfectly because generally they won't. Like you need to take a look at the player, take a hard look at what your options are and then your, your decisions are going to be influenced based on the type of people in your game, right? So if I have an AD carry and I'm in lower elo and I'm looking to roam, first thing I would generally do is use pings. A lot of low elo players, especially in coaching, I notice the sheer number of things that are missed because people don't ping incredible people don't ping that sums are down people don't ping they're on their way as much i'm not talking about one ping if we think about the general map awareness of a challenger sometimes they can miss pings if we think if we then move to a gold player how does this gold player know you're on their way if you've only pinged once chances are they haven't even looked at their mini map in three four seconds and maybe that you get lucky and they register that ping but why even take that risk just ping three times if they think you're spamming, it's fine. You mute them, don't flame them, just play your game. But what I would do in low elo is I would evaluate my AD carry. Is this player going to listen to my ping if I tell him to back off when I push in the wave? Or is he going to walk up to enemy tower and do something stupid? That's the first step. That's the idiot radar at work. And then the second thing is evaluating. Essentially, what high elo players are good at is forcing situations where even in the worst case scenario, they're not losing that much. But if the play goes well, they will gain more than they will lose on wherever they left. So that's what roaming is all about. If I roam and I make a play mid, I have to do a quick cost-benefit analysis, and I'll say, okay, am I winning more than I'm losing if I leave my AD carry? Because in low elo, you're right. You're 100% right. People will just randomly die uh, when they shouldn't. There's no wave. They will just walk up, and they'll just do something stupid and die. But what I would have thought about if I was smurfing was, is, can I actually make a play mid and how much do I get off this play? I'm not just purely looking for the 300 gold. I'm saying, can I get plates? Do I need to reset? Is it going to mess with my back timing? All this kind of stuff comes into play. 
Uh, I hope that answers the question. But in general, it's the idiot radar part. You need to actually like think about what your teammates are doing, essentially. Right. So what if you know? How do you deal with an idiot? If you know for sure that your AD carry is going to do something stupid, does that just mean that you cannot roam, or, <laughs> or do you just leave them to die? So not every single game is winnable. That's the first thing I have to stress, uh, and I think it's important that every player understands that and also doesn't take every win or loss as like you know their highs and lows. They shouldn't. They shouldn't be emotionally invested so much that like an idiot will tilt them for the rest of the day. That's a, something that I used to do. That's very bad. It's very bad for your mental health, and it's also not good for anyone's gameplay in-game. So the first thing you need to understand is you do your best, and if your teammate or if your AD carry does not respect that he needs to back off or that completely ignores you pinging him five times to back because you know he's going to die, you, you can't control them. You can't control every player in the game. Make the best play for your situation, and then... I, what I'd say is Coach Curtis as well had this term that I, I love this term. He, he called it the gladiator mindset. And essentially, and I think high elo players have this mindset. And he describes how the difference between low elo players and high elo players' mindsets is when they're thrown in the ring, they will do everything they can to increase their chances of winning, right? So the lower elo players will look at their AD carry dying and say, oh my God, this guy's an idiot. He just ruined the play. The high elo player will instantly be thinking, what am I going to do to turn the situation around. Okay, my AD carry just died and enemy bot lane is pushing the wave in, but they're resetting. That means we could probably do Drake and he'll ping ping the Drake and he'll he'll make a call, essentially. He'll understand the situation and be like, okay, we can't win the fight, we can't win the play, but what else can we get? And what you'll notice is as you climb and then you go back down to lower elos and you smurf, the sheer number of mistakes is so high that no low elo player should ever feel like the game is just completely unwinnable unless people are like legitimately AFKing and you know you are zero and thirty and the enemy are are all like incredibly fed. Pretty much every game in Loilo is winnable. And in fact, yesterday on my stream, I won a game we should never have won ever. It, it was so over. The enemy was like ten thousand gold ahead by twenty minutes in the game. The reason, and this was like a platinum or diamond level game. And the reason because me and my duo had a gladiator mindset. What do we do to get maximum farm? to get maximum vision, and to increase our chances of winning. Our mechanics did come into play, but at the end of the day, my teammates were too busy typing, so they weren't the ones going to win, so it was all about me. So I, I totally sympathize with your question. That There are games, and in fact, in low elo, you should understand that you're probably making mistakes as well, so you don't need to focus on what your AD carry is doing. Try and focus on what you're doing. Um, but I would say if you can shift your mentality from thinking about your teammates' mistakes to not your mistakes, but rather what opportunities are you missing? What are you not doing in game that a challenger player would do? You'll, you'll start to improve way faster. Those roams that you missed and those situations you could have played better, if you start thinking about it that way, you'll have a much clearer idea of how to carry games and you won't need your teammates. That's the best part of being a good player. You don't actually need your teammates always to win. You can just pick them up. All right, you're coming with me. We're going to the enemy nexus. <laughs> I like that. It pairs well with the proactive play style of Alistair where, you know, you, it's you making the decisions and, and that's how you end up winning. All right, cool. So when it comes to the early game, what are some of the most important moments? Like earlier you mentioned Drake, but obviously, you know, some, some champions have very specific power spikes. What kind of things are you looking for or what are you preparing for um, in the early game? Yeah, so generally the first few levels on Alistair are very similar. You, you give early prio in a lot of lanes. 
there are there's basically two ways you can go early game on Alistair. You either, if you can 2v2, for example, a Kai'Sa with Halo Blades and me with my Flash Ignite and Q on Alistair, there are some lanes we can one-shot someone. If I flash Q and my Kai'Sa lands her full Halo Blades plus Q plus Ignite plus everything on top of it, that, that's like a, one of the few lanes where I will play aggressive level one. But otherwise, generally, you're letting the wave slow push into you because the enemy team will push the wave because they have range advantage. And then you catch the wave and you're waiting for level two. There are uh, le level two in some cases will be your power spike because you can then combo people and threaten them. But in a lot of cases, especially in, in matchups where even at level two, the enemy has mobility, they have stronger level two spike. It happens quite a lot. You can't level two all in. So you have to wait for level three. And what that means is you're still going to be out of pressure. And what I generally do is damage control at that point. So what I'm doing at level one to three is damage control, generally trying to lose as little XP as possible, trying to make sure that the big one is Scuttle Crab. Is my jungler going to do something really crazy around Scuttle Crab? And can I actually help or do I not want to take the fight? That's a really huge one on, on pretty much every support, but Alistair especially, because if you take a bad fight at Scuttle Crab and you're level two and the enemy's level three or you're level two and the enemy's level two, but you don't win the fight, you delay your spike, you give the enemy more time and more pressure and then you come back to lane and you're still behind so that's an incredibly important part of the laning phase that you need to understand what to tell your jungler but then after level three i start to look for wave control that's the big one like everyone says okay i need to start roaming now but to actually roam you just have to control the wave so my advice would just be how do you control the wave you control it in a variety of ways but choose one stick to it for that wave at least make sure that you can get your roam off and then do something with your roam it doesn't have to be a kill but you can control the wave by threatening to kill them. You can threaten to control the wave by having bush control. You can control the wave by taking a good trade. You can even control the wave by just out-sustaining them with your passive. There's a variety of ways you can get to the wave and get it in the state you want. Once you actually roam, that's the big part of the game where your roams start to like decide the state of the game. If you roam and you don't get a kill, that's fine. You can actually still win the game off of purely just roaming for pressure. Like if I can control complete vision control around enemy mid lane and make sure the enemy mid laner is stuck under his tower, a lot of the time, you know, we're just gonna we're just gonna win the game. We're just gonna take every Drake, take every Herald. I will roam from bot lane up. Okay, I can't kill mid. What else can I do? Maybe I just walk through mid and I just start Herald with my jungler. There's a variety of things you can do, but that's early game. And I'm I'm still talking about pre six. That that can still happen pre level six. It's just up to you to figure out how much time you have every time you roam. The major thing is don't overdo it. Just don't overdo it. You don't like you can just go back to lane, fix the wave again, and then do your next play. But what I see a lot of people doing on Alistair or even on any tanky roaming support is they, there's just a con there's like a three minute long mid lane fight that they're just constantly fighting and then they've forgotten that they've lost four waves ball lane, you know, and now they're level four and the enemy supports level six. So yeah, just make sure that you actually understand how much time you have as and you don't like overstay. Okay, I, I want to ask a bunch of follow-up questions for that. First of all, Go for it. <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier that you play differently if you, for example, have a Kai'Sa with Halo Blades. Are there any other kind of pairs or even like enemy matchups that really alter your playstyle that make you, you know, say, I have a different plan than, than usual for this lane? Oh yeah, I mean, a, a big one straight up off the bat. I think the a game I played two days ago on my main account I played against a really good Janna player. His name was Unbreakable Bond, and he's a challenger enchanter player, right? He's actually on the other side of the support coin, so he plays enchanters. And his style is very similar to, he's a heavy roaming player on champions like Janna. He will roam just as much, if not more, than me. And that's not actually uncommon in high elo, because roaming is the way you control the game. But 
in lane, he has the advantage. So how do I play against a champion that beats me in lane and that wants to that that wants to be at every roam? Because every time I ran around the map, you know, as Alistair after early laning phase, he would be there. So my plan changes drastically. And what what I actually ended up having to do was stay in lane more and threaten his AD carry to force him to stay bot lane, right? That's a complete 180 of my plan. I just can't, I just spent ages talking about roaming. Well, in this case, I actually didn't want to roam because he was at every mid lane fight. And I know this player, I know the style he, uh, he plays. Every time I would gank mid, he would be standing behind his mid lane, playing a more reactive roaming style where he would just make me waste cooldowns, exhaust my mid lane when they go in, and then they would win the fight. So. I had to change my plan. I had to use my flash aggressively and force all-ins to actually generate tempo and generate pressure by forcing him bot lane. And this can be a little risky because what happens if, if I'm not winning mid lane, like one versus one, my mid lane is losing. That's tough, right? Because what I'm doing is essentially staying bot, not impacting the map and hoping my mid, my jungle, and my top are winning. And then also that they will eventually be able to come bot and release pressure from, from me because I'm being stuck under tower. I'm forcing 2v2s. It's not an easy solution, but that is the price you pay. You're not going to win every matchup, and not every matchup is possible to just run around the map and dominate. There's a, there's other examples, exactly the same concept, but on other champs. For example, Gragas can deny me going in bot lane, and he can roam very heavily. So, you know, similar style. You have to be creative about when you when you move. But I think in general, League is like the tide. It goes in and it goes out. You have to play based on what is happening in the moment, and you have to be a bit of a flexible player. So like sometimes in a Janna matchup, I will still be able to roam. Sometimes I can't. It just depends on the state of the game. A lot of the time it depends on my AD carry. What are they doing? Are they chilling? Are they having a tough time? And then also on my mid and my jungle. So can I move with them or can I not move with them? And then I have to figure out what I'm doing. But that's a good example of me having to completely change my plan. Okay. Um, a quick follow-up question on that. When it comes to the jungler, what are you generally looking for? Because you can, you can roam with the jungler, right? Or even do invades with the jungler. Uh, how do you assess that? Yeah, so, I mean, that's a really good question. And I think, so if you remember what I said about psychoanalyzing your teammates, a lot of that work, in my opinion, gets done in high elo in a few games, and then you start to recognize which junglers you can play with, seeing as you play with the same junglers over and over. But at the same time, it's, it's a lot about un understanding another role, because if you have no understanding of the jungle role as a support, you are going to be a far weaker support player than a, a support that understands jungle matchups and also even a little bit about jungle pathing and things like that. So the big one for knowing whether you can roam with the jungler or knowing what to do with the jungler is map awareness. And not just looking at the map and seeing enemy champions are here and here and here. It's, it's predictive map awareness is what I would call it. Looking at the map and having a, a kind of a hypothesis on what the enemy team is going to do and then having an idea of what you think your jungler will do. And this is partly where pings come in. A lot of challenger junglers use pings very effectively, and a lot of lower elo junglers don't use pings at all, or they just show up in a lane and expect the laners know what to do. But when I look at a jungler and I evaluate whether I want to roam with them, first thing you should do, check the scoreboard. I mean, this will just give you free LP. Just check the scoreboard. Does your jungler even have items? First thing I would say is if they haven't based and they're level four and enemy jungler has based and your jungler's pinging crab, you know, that's a, that's a situation where you need to take control and be like, bro, you haven't based. I don't want to roam to you right now because if we lose now, it's really bad. Stuff like that is all about your game knowledge and your understanding of, you know, item spikes. Like a Talia with no items versus a Graves with Ignite, Challenger, Smite. Yeah, I'm going to put my money on the Graves every time. So in those situations, you know, I would first check the scoreboard. Second, 
take a look at the lane states because the that the number one way you can lose games mentally speaking is a jungler losing a skirmish around crab laners then also dying and then they lose waves jungler is like a level down and then everyone starts flaming each other this happens in so many games so check the lane states if your jungler wants to do something or if you want to do something with your jungler can your mid lane move does your mid lane even want to move or do they have 75 minions under tower that's you will save yourself so much headache if you just quickly pan over to your laners. This also works for bot lane. You know, don't start a bot lane fight if your AD carry is farming four waves with your jungle. You know, it's not AD carry's fault in that case. It's your fault. So that's how I evaluate whether I can move in my jungle. It's it's like a step-by-step process. And I can do that now pretty instantly, but that took a lot of practice. It took a lot of effort to actively think about it. So I checked scoreboard, then I check items, then I check wave states, and then I look at the specifics like it can enemy support match my roam or um, do they have tps what summoners do they have in the fight like if they have flashes can i even realistically fight you know that's that's all the kind of steps i take before i just randomly run around with my jungler okay cool another thing that you mentioned earlier that i wanted to ask about was trading in lane because for me it seems like alistar is you know especially with hexac flash great for all ins but when do you try to trade like without trying to kill the enemy yeah, that's a that's a really good question because a lot of Alistars would commit to every single combo as if it's an all-in. And then when it's starting to go bad, they start to run away. But I mean, at that point, you're probably going to die because you can't run away effectively unless you have phase rush. But if you're if you're playing phase rush, you can commit to a little bit more of the hit and run playstyle. You can go in. Uh, generally, you don't even have to land your E. You don't have to commit. If I land a combo on both the enemy champions, they actually don't have a lot of time to trade back onto me. So... A good example would be, you know, Thresh, Kaisa. If I land a full combo onto them, chances are they would probably land Thresh Flay onto me, Thresh Hook onto me, Kaisa Q onto me, right? If I spent my time going W, Q, standing next to them, trying to land my E. Why do I need to do that? When I could just W, Q them, my AD carry lands two autos, and I quickly sprint out using Phase Rush, right? So there, there's like trading patterns in certain lanes that you have to learn. And this, this goes for every champion in every matchup. This is not Alistair specific at all, actually. But it's, that is what understanding matchups is, like trading patterns, understanding when you have essentially burnt all of your advantage in a trade and need to get the heck out. And you need to know that before you go in. You shouldn't go in and then be sitting there going, oh, okay, now this is a bad trade. Because in that situation, you probably, you, you didn't know in the first place, so you, you were never going to play the trade correctly. Obviously, you're going to have to use your experience in game and you should limit test to some extent. That's how you learn matchups. You should be willing to try things, but have an idea of what you think the trade should look like before you just randomly trade. That's the big one. But on Aftershock, on Aftershock, it's a bit more of like, a all right, we're going for this. (laughs) So you go in, you're much more committed on Aftershock than you are in Phase Rush. So especially, you know, a champion like Ash is a great example of what I'm talking about. When you go in, even on Phase Rush, when you go in against an Ash, you need to be really careful because if your Phase Rush expires, you do not have slow resistance anymore and she autos you even once and you don't have like flash, you don't have combo, you're, you're just dead or you're going to lose half your HP to her auto attacks. So um, the trading patterns in lane, I want to stress, very kind of important on Alistair because if you are only looking for all-ins, if you're just purely looking to all-in, in a lot of matchups, you cannot all-in on Alistair. He actually has very low damage and very low kind of consistent DPS to take a fight and then win the fight after he's blown his combo. It's pretty much short trades in a lot of matchups to then threaten the all-in afterwards. You need to get them to 60% HP with your Ignite, that plus your combo, plus your AD carry, that might kill them. Okay. So your plan basically is if you can trade, if you know beforehand that it is going to be a positive trade, then you do it. 
and then you're just waiting for your cooldowns to go in again, right? In what situations would you <laughs> basically like, when is that not a good idea? It feels like, especially if you do this pattern often, maybe the jungler will realize this and know that actually my, my bot lane is half HP. They're about to get, uh, you know, all in by the Alistar, uh, and he'll respond appropriately. How do you, how do you assess that? So the way you can approach that problem is again, this is actually quite similar to a lot of tanky engaged supports, but also just in general, it's a bot lane thing that a lot of players can benefit to learn from, which is when you commit to a fight or a trade or an all-in or any sort of skirmish, you shouldn't just look at it as an isolated event. Have a think about how long this fight's going to be, how long the skirmish is going to be, and then put yourself in the enemy's shoes, right? So what I would do is, okay, enemy's half HP, I'm half HP but we can kill them because we have ignite advantage or whatever. I would think, okay, if the enemy jungler, if I was the enemy jungler, what would I do? So the, the easiest thing you can do without knowing anything about the jungle, knowing nothing about pathing is just look at the lanes. Okay, so I pan over to top lane. My top laner is under his own tower. Can the enemy jungler dive him? No. Okay, so why would he go top lane? My mid lane is just, you know, Oriana chilling, farming, and the enemy, enemy mid lane is, I don't know, Victor. Can they kill Oriana? No, she's like really safe right now. She has flash, she has alt. Okay, where is the place I as a jungler would look uh, would look to? Ball lane. Because both laners are 50% HP and it looks like, you know, there's going to be an all-in very soon. So already the, the mistake has been made. If I go as an Alistair for that all-in without considering the possibility of jungle, I've already made that mistake. And it's a mistake everyone will make at some point, right? You can't, you, you, no one is omniscient and can see everything on the map at once. But what I would then do as an Alistair would say, what resources do I have to increase the odds of me winning that situation? Do I have wards? Do I have my jungle nearby? Do we have TP to stop them from you know, ganking us because we could TP and turn the fight? And then I would evaluate if none of those things are true and the jungler's here and I've evaluated that there's nothing we can do, is it even worth to go for the all-in? Like if we lose this all-in, how much do we lose? And then if we win the all-in, how much do we gain? You know. Because a lot of times I've been caught out by this. And also good supports will do this. Like I've I've fallen prey to this in Challenger where they know that I want to all in. They know that they will die two versus two, but it's not two versus two. They have their jungler sitting in a bush behind them and they will just walk up to me. Like the Janna, for example, that's how she generates good situations, right? She will just walk up to me knowing that she has a jungler behind her. I can't do anything about it. And in some cases, she won't even use the traditional Janna way of stopping Alistair, which is to tornado me. She won't even use her tornado to stop me from comboing her. She will let me combo her. And then she will just let her jungler walk out of the brush and one-shot me. So it's a lot about just understanding how long the fights are and then risk reward. I think risk, risk reward is probably the biggest one. Like how much do we lose? Because if you don't have any vision around Vaugh and you don't know where their jungler is and you don't have jungler, you don't have TP and you don't have mid lane, then you, you need to basically put yourself in the enemy jungler's shoes, look at the map and be like, if he's in this brush, how bad is it? If it's not bad, maybe you can go for it. But you know, sometimes it's it's bad, and you shouldn't go for it. So, all right. Um, the last thing that I wanted to ask about as well as earlier, you mentioned that you can get quite underleveled if you do a lot of roaming. You mentioned that you basically want to. What you said is like, how long can you stay? And you need to realize how long you can stay. How do you determine that? How do you how do you actually figure the timing on that? That's, this is an excellent question. And if I could pinpoint how to like transfer my thoughts about this to paper, I think I would make a lot of money because a lot of players ask me, how do you know how long you have? And all I can ever answer is experience. And 
that that is the number one. Like I can explain it in a replay to you and say, look, I know that I have 20 seconds to make this roll because of the wave states, because of this, this, this. But a lot of it is educated guesses. A lot of it is me going, okay, I'm moving away from bot lane after we've just crashed a big wave. I maybe have time to go for one combo on mid just to see if we can get the kill. I think it's a safe play. I don't think even if the jungler's there, we'll die. So I'll go for it, but then I back out. And in, in a lower ELO replay, I would look at that and they would take a really long fight. And I would say, this is a big mistake. And they'd be like, how do you know this is a big mistake? Again, I would look at the wave states. The number one thing I've learned over the last two years of playing and getting climbing to higher and higher ELO is everything comes down to minions, literally everything. You should worship minions and pray to the minion god before you do anything. Because at the end of the day, they are like the anchor that sticks the AD carries or the mids or the tops in their lanes. And that is how you generate leads. Enemy AD carry can't move, my AD carry can, boom, you've just generated numbers advantage. Wherever you go, you have one person extra. So yeah, I, I guess I could just say minions. It's a bit of a cop-out answer, but um, the second part is experience. And the third part is trial and error. You have to look at your replays. You will. This is a very abstract thing to learn. It's It's very much like a jungler. You can't really see the missed opportunities as a jungler without looking at your replays, right? So it's very valuable to look at your replays. Whereas a laner can see, oh, I missed an opportunity because I died, or I, I got two, I got one v one. That's a very obvious mistake. But as a jungler, it's a lot more abstract. You have a lot more options at any given time, so you should hone in on it by looking at your replays. And as a support, roaming is a big one. If you don't know how long you have, experience will pay off by just trying. Just try. You know, I, I, okay, you you lose the fight. Well, now that you've learned, next game, hopefully you don't do that. And you, you've understood that, hey, I only really pushed one wave into the enemy tower. So I only really had maybe 10, 15 seconds. Enemy wave was already arriving and my AD carry needed me bot lane. Otherwise, they would just get stuck under tower. And what you actually said results in what I'd call the bounce back roam, which is you push a wave into the enemy tower, okay? And you run around the map and you do something. But what you don't do is you don't get back to your wave in time. So the enemy wave and your wave meet again. And since you are in bot lane, the enemy bot and support, they push their wave in. And guess what? Now they are moving when your AD carry is stuck under tower. And whatever play you're doing, they can actually move towards. Maybe you're making a mid play. Maybe, you know, we're making a play with your jungle and enemy blue buff. Well, that's the bounce back roam. They have a roam for free because you didn't reach the wave in time. And this is a common problem I see when I'm coaching, which is overdoing the roam and it bites you in the, in the, in the ass. And yeah, my final answer to this would be <laughs> experience. That would probably be the, the number one way you can solve that. All right. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. Cool. I, I wanted to quickly talk about the mid game. We've been talking about the early game for a very long time, but when the laning phase is ending, what's kind of your, your goal as Alistar? Yeah, so generally this, uh, again, you can go two different ways. You can go the kind of team fighting route where you, you group with your team more heavily and you focus on playing team fights correctly, or you can go for the more roaming route where you catch people off guard. I mean, he can be played as a pick champion, you know, sitting in brushes, uh, hex flashing over walls or going side lane. Maybe the enemy has a split pusher. You can uh, hex flash into bushes or catch him off guard. There's, there's many ways you can play, but like the simplest way is identifying, can you win team fights? And if you can win team fights, then just focus on playing the team fights correctly. But that would be my advice to players trying to learn Alistair because you can hard carry team fights with good play on Alistair and with good use of your flash and your, your combo. But there are easier, less messy ways to win if you don't win 5v5. If you don't win the ARAM, then there are easier ways to win, such as setting up picks. That's where vision control comes in. If you have vision control around an area, 
um, preferably around a neutral objective or somewhere where the enemy has to go, like they have to clear your vision, then you don't need to 5v5. And in fact, even if you win 5v5, it might not be safe to take that risk. You know, someone might misplay. So in that case, just take the pick and then take the free objective. That's what you're generally doing pretty much on every champion, actually. And don't even think it changes with enchanters, even on Lulu, even on Karma, even on Janna. As a support, your goal mid game is control vision around an area that you want to make proactive plays around, and then choose whether or not you want to be the team that initiates the fight or be the team that denies the enemy from starting a good fight. One of those two things has to be on your mind and then play on your vision. That's like the last part is if you actually play with vision control around you and you have full vision and information of where the enemy could flank, that's that's your win condition a lot of the time. Okay. Um, you mentioned the playstyle of being basically looking for Pixis Alistair. One thing I was wondering about is like, as you get tankier, it feels like it's quite easy to get too eager and to engage too often. How do you pick your battles without like baiting your team into a bad engage? Yeah, that's uh, again, that's a really difficult question to answer because League has so many different champs, so many different team comps, so many different interactions that a lot of it came down to experience. And I mean, I still engage fights, which I'm like, yeah, we should win this fight. And then, you know, Pentakill later, uh, my Nexus exploding. I'm like, oh, okay, we, we don't win this fight. So some of it is experience. Uh, some of it is what I talked about, this kind of psychoanalyzing your team. Who's a good player on your team? Who's the player who's consistent on your team? Are they going to perform in team fights? If not, if you don't have a good consistent player in team fights, shift to maybe, okay, maybe it's just better to, to not fight at all. But catching people versus team fighting is always, and also engaging too often is always an experienced team comp kind of item advantage, disadvantage battle that you have to do. Because going in, and engaging and resulting in a bad fight does not always mean that what you did was wrong because when you have a five versus five there are multiple points of failure so if you engage the fight perfectly but your oriana forgets to put ball on you or your oriana just misplays and alts nothing or your kaisa alts into backline when she shouldn't and gets one shot that does not necessarily mean that you should immediately say i shouldn't have engaged but you need to just evaluate it kind of objectively and say okay i engaged this fight thinking we could win my kaisa was playing really well up until this point so it was a logical decision but she made a misplay and i lost you know th those kind of things happen and i wouldn't recommend being results based and just saying it was a bad fight i shouldn't have engaged but if you do engage too often if you find yourself uh, as a support like engaging and losing a lot of fights because you engage then that is a problem and you should look at your replays and be like why did I think this was a good fight? And why did it turn out to be a bad fight? Maybe they had more people than you thought. Maybe your teammates didn't have cooldowns. Like a really important cooldown would be flash on an immobile AD carry. And you engaged and then the enemy, Camille, just pressed R on your AD carry. She could just one-shot him. Yeah, that's a game knowledge thing and something you need to work on through practice, experience. And if you want to be fast about it, looking at your replays and figuring out why you decided logically that that was a good fight when it actually wasn't. Okay, cool. Lastly, um, quickly about items. I feel like Alistar is quite straightforward with the items, right? You're mostly looking to just go tank. But there's two things I wanted to ask about specifically. The one is boots and the other one is the mythic. So on boots first, it seems like the most common choice is mobies, right? But what are your options here? Yeah, so mobies versus lucidity is 
generally in Korea, they seem to go Lucidity. On EU West, I have had more success with Mobis, and I think it fits my playstyle more. But I think Lucidity is more of a consistent style because it gives you very short flash cooldown, and you don't have to rely so much on on roams. It's really good in team fights, really good in skirmishes. But what I would say is the Mobis versus Lucidity, it's more of a playstyle thing. On EU West, roams, like generally speaking, roams can snowball out of control in my experience on our server. And I have had games which will just end in 15 minutes. If I get two, three good roams off in a row, then the game is just done. It's just, it's unlosable. And I, I find that those roams are slightly easier with Mobis. That's the only reason I really choose Mobis over Lucidity Boots. Lucidity Boots are still an incredible item for any playmaking support. They are being nerfed in the next patch, 11.8, I believe. So we will see if the Korean Alistairs start to go Mobis, or maybe even, I've seen Boots of Swiftness, and I've also seen Steel Caps. But generally speaking, as you can see, it's like Lucidity Boots are sort of a mobility option because they give you flash off lower cooldown, which counts as a mobility spell. Whereas Steel Caps don't really give you mobility and Mercs don't really give you mobility. Um, Swiftness Boots, I think, are actually decent against teams with heavy slows, but it's all about movement speed. It's just all about movement speed. Whatever you can do to get yourself from point A to point B as fast as possible on Alistair will give you the biggest advantage in game. Okay, that makes sense. As for the Mythic, there's really only two choices, right? There's Locket and there's Chemtank. What is your preference and, and how do you choose between those? So yeah, th there was essentially a debate going on in my head about this for a while about Locket versus Chemtank. And I started by always buying Locket. My reasoning was I had a lot of success by baiting cooldowns from bursty champs uh, by using the Locket shield and then turning on the bursty champs. That was one of the things I used to do regularly in team fights to win fights. Like a Talon would go on my backline, I would use Locket, and then I would combo the Talon, we'd one-shot the Talon. And it's still a very strong way of playing, but I decided I wanted to try the more proactive approach rather than waiting for enemy to use cooldowns on me. I wanted to use my mobility to start really, really good fights. So that's why I went Chemtank. And I'll be honest, I'm still figuring out the ins and outs of how to like really, really optimally use Chemtank. But in general, it's just a proactive versus reactive itemization choice. So if I am going to be standing with my team and I know my team has more damage than the enemy team and they will win as long as they survive, then it's a no-brainer. I will go lock it and I will make sure my team survives. I will do everything I can to sit next to my mid lane or my A carry or whoever's fed. And if the enemy tries to dive them, I will go on the biggest threat immediately use my locket and shut those guys uh, down from killing my mid or my AD carry. If it's a case where like, for example, I have a really, really fed um, Darius, but the enemy has an Ezreal. He's never going to reach Ezreal unless I help or, you know, some other champion combination, unless I help him. So maybe I will need to get onto the back line for us to actually function as a team. If we are all melee champions, then locket doesn't actually seem that good because we're just going to get kited. So I will use Chemtank to solve that problem help my team actually engage and create opportunities for my shorter range teammates to follow up, essentially. If I'm the primary engage, Chemtank is always the way to go. Okay, cool. Last but not least, I wanted to take a little bit of a high-level view, basically, on the, on the game as a whole. And I was interested in, especially your, your climb all the way to Challenger, basically. One thing that I wanted to ask is, uh, what are some of the changes that you've made in your playstyle that you feel that have helped you rank up the fastest? What is something that you saw just incredible improvement from? Uh, this is, again, kind of hard for me to verbalize, but I guess it was mentality. 
that was pretty much the number one change I made on an individual level. And it's actually completely removed from my gameplay. I didn't even think about anything else for the beginning of season 11. I just went into solo queue with the mentality of regardless of win or loss, my goal was every game just have one thing that I wish I had done differently or that I'm going to change for next game. I guess that's a more positive way of saying it. So I went into game and I would say, okay, I did this wrong. Next game, I won't do that wrong. That was it. And I stopped caring so much about my LP, my wins, win loss ratio, my, you know, oh, what my teammates said in chat, stuff like that. I focused more on, I mean, it's fine to vent and complain about it. League can be a frustrating game, but don't let that be your focus. Your focus should still be, even in losses, even in wins, take something from the game and improve. And I actually think that it doesn't matter what champion or role or anything you play, if you have that mentality and all the best players on solo queue, in my opinion, have that kind of, like I said, it's like a gladiator mentality where like, I don't care what I have to do to win. I'm going to take something from this. Like, even if I get cut in half in the, in the arena, the next time I go in that arena, like I will, I will learn something from being cut in half. I won't just ignore it and forget about the game, you know? If you can mentally handle that, because sometimes remembering all the losses is a bit frustrating. But the mentality was the biggest one. But then I also just, I mean, if you can guess as an Alistair player, it's pretty obvious. I just started roaming a ridiculous amount. I understood that, okay, you can win bot lane, but if you don't transition your lead anywhere, then you know, you're just flipping, flipping a coin and hoping your mid wins, you're hoping your top wins, you're hoping your jungler wins. So why not just take the reins? And the reason I saw this was I started to watch junglers who I felt were the strongest junglers solo queue on the server. People like um, like Kire, he's a very strong juggler on the server. There's a guy called 113. He plays for Supermassive. And I was like, how do they control the game? And it's just purely by, by roaming. And I was like, okay, well, I'm a support. I can do that as a support on my champions. So why don't I just become the second jungler? You know, like I'm tired of being sitting bot lane and maybe winning 2v2, but then, you know, we keep losing mid lane fights. I'm just going to control the game because I can't, because other roles don't have that luxury of running around the map being psycho and just being in every fight. I do. So I'm going to mimic what the best junglers do, because I think, in my opinion, jungle is one of the most strong roles in solo queue. And I'm just going to copy them. And roaming is the way you control games. That's how they stomp 60, 70% of their games in Challenger. They are at every fight and they're at every situation that is good for their team first. So they, they choose what happens on the map, basically. I like that. Um, you mentioned earlier that for every game, you try to find a mistake that you want to fix in the next one. I feel like it's very easy for people to see other people's mistakes, but we always have a blind spot for our own mistakes. How do you always find that mistake? Or don't you ever feel like, hey, I just made no mistake? <laughs> you know, isn't it easy yeah. sometimes to just say, you know, no, there's nothing I could do? Okay. I have a question for you real quick. Have you ever played StarCraft? I have not, no. Okay, so I, I started playing StarCraft in, just before I started playing League. And I played it for about a year, and I reached pretty high ELO. And the reason I quit StarCraft was because it is a one versus one game. And when you make a mistake in StarCraft, there is nobody else to blame but you. You are everything that happened in the game. And if you get, it's like losing a chess game. That's part of the reason why I find chess so frustrating. If I lose one versus one to a chess player, it's just an admission that they are better than me. Whereas League of Legends, there's, it's both good and bad for your mentality because it cushions the fall when you lose because you blame your teammates and you think, oh, it's good because you know I'm not that bad actually. It's my teammates' fault. So in some ways, it cushions your realization that maybe you didn't play good. But at the same time, 
when you do like win a game like it's not all you either you know it's like a team effort so what you need to understand is there's a middle ground you need to reach in league just because you have teammates that are playing bad does not mean that you didn't make mistakes and the reason it, i think it's just a natural as uh, instinct as a human to protect yourself to kind of protect your 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 mentality and your mindset and your emotional state because if every game you went into that mindset of oh i could have done this better no matter how positive you are as a person it does eventually eat away at you and kind of reduce your self-esteem over time i've had this problem with a lot of teammates in competitive where because we have got such a competitive mindset and every game we want to win and every game we come out of it going, I could have played better. Man, I played bad. Man, I played bad. It can actually manifest in some pretty horrible mental health issues where you're just constantly crapping on yourself all day. And there, like I said, it's a middle ground. You have to be able to leave the game saying, all right, I made some mistakes. Like, I'm not perfect. I'm human. But also acknowledge that you know your enemy team maybe sorry your teammates maybe didn't play that great and that's fine. There's a rule that I've heard thrown around in the league community, which is like twenty twenty sixty, which is twenty percent of your games are just lost, like you just you just can't win them. Twenty percent of your games are just automatically won regardless of what you do, and then sixty percent of the games are kind of in the middle, and that is the sixty percent of games that you should try your best to influence and try your best to control and. That's the mentality that the best players have. Like they will brush off some really bad losses because it's just not worth the mental effort of going through them. But then the losses which were kind of close or they actually genuinely could have influenced, that's the games that you need to focus on. You need to take as much as you can out of them and do it in a healthy way. Don't crap on yourself because I think the league mentality, league player base has a very negative mindset to feedback. They it's always negative feedback. And sorry to go off a bit on a bit of a tangent here, but I worked with two sports psychologists over the last two years on my teams, and I was very lucky to work with them. And in traditional sports, there's an analogy they gave me, which cracked me up, which was imagine a football team training like a league team does, right? And if you've ever been in a league team, the sheer amount of you did this bad, you were inting, you were griefing, you griefed this play, like that is not how you, <laughs> you, you generate good improvement habits and good kind of positive mentality to improvement that is how you you bring someone down and the league mentality is so prevalent with negative feedback that i think just giving yourself a little bit of positive feedback every now and then genuine positive feedback not the kind of bravado i am the 1v9 player i'm faker like actually look at something that you've improved on and be like yeah i'm getting better at that that's good because that will give you the motivation to keep working on the stuff you're not improving on if you never credit yourself when you did good work then your mind will eventually not care about improving because you're not going to get any sort of reward from it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I like this a lot. I feel like there's definitely two sides of this where there are some players who will always say, no, it was never my fault. Whereas, especially maybe in high elo, there's people who will say, no, everything is always my fault. And maybe both, both are bad. <laughs> yes, I agree. They're both bad equally, for sure. All right, awesome. I have one final question for you, which is what is the best Alistair skin? Ooh, okay. So I use I use Marauder Alistair and I don't know why I use Marauder Alistair, but it just it feels I think it's what his walk animation just it suits him and I like the little spikes and the, the aesthetic. But a lot of I, I really like Lunar Beast Alistair. So I'm thinking of making the switch. My my guess would be Marauder. Just don't play just don't play Hextech. I think that skin sucks. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. This has been really awesome. Thank you for your time. This I've definitely learned a lot. The 
roaming playstyle of Alistair seems like it's very different and very proactive and something that is quite unique as well. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great. I really enjoyed the questions. Some some really uh, thought provoking ones. So appreciate it. Sweet. Thank you. All right. So where can people find out more about you? Tell tell me everything. So yeah, I'm I'm at Raisins. That's R A I Z I N S L O L on pretty much everything. That's on Twitter, Raisins Lol, Twitch, Raisins Lol, and YouTube, Raisins Lol. So you can catch me. I stream every every evening at 8 p.m. UK time. So British summertime right now or GMT, whenever it goes back to GMT. And I usually stream on my main account for, you know, two to four games. And then I play with viewers and, you know, we also sometimes go on Smurf accounts. So uh, that's where you can catch me streaming and I make educational content on YouTube. So if people have questions for me, I often make videos answering those questions about wave management, about roaming, about, you know, what should I play, all this kind of stuff. So you can check out my YouTube channel and ask me questions if you have any. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. That concludes this episode of Challenger Insights. If you want to stay up to date with the podcast, be sure to follow us on Twitter or join the Discord. The links for both of these will be in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider sending it to someone who you think would be interested in it as well. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.